Does God remember? Since He is God, He remembers everything, right? He remembers the grief you gave your parents or your teacher when you were a kid. He remembers the time you exploded in anger and used His name as an expletive. He remembers all the times you came to worship and then let your mind wander off to the golf course or the office or the menu for dinner that afternoon. He remembers that date when you and your partner let things get a little carried away. When you meet someone from your past and they say, I remember you, do you cringe a little bit? Oh man, I wonder what they remember about me. When God says to us, I remember you, do you cringe a little bit? What does he remember? Well, the good news is that God remembers differently than we do. He remembers his promises. If you remember last week's podcast, things hadn't gone exactly as Moses probably was hoping. What do you think he was expecting? First, God calls him at the burning bush. Step two, he tells Pharaoh to let God's people go. And step three, Pharaoh lets people go and Moses retires in the promised land, hopefully on the Mediterranean coast. Well, that's not what happened. When Moses confronted Pharaoh with God's command, let my people go, You may recall Pharaoh didn't exactly say, Oh, if the Lord says to let the people go, well, sure thing. You people have a nice trip home, and it's been nice having you as neighbors all these years. No, Pharaoh not only refused to let the people go, but he increased their workload. Now the people were even more miserable. And they didn't say to Moses, Well, at least you tried, Moses. Thanks for the effort. No, they said, Way to go, Moses. You're a great help. Why did you come here to make our lives worse? And Moses, for his part, storms right into the presence of God and complains, Is this why you sent me here? To make things worse? You have not rescued your people at all. Well, that's the end of chapter 5. In chapter 6, the Lord responds to Moses' complaint. And what does he say? I remember. Let's begin with prayer. Lord, when the circumstances of our life make us afraid or discouraged, then help us to remember you and to remember your great promises. Amen. Chapter 6, Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the complaining of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Or in other words, I have remembered my promise to them. God's answer is, Moses, I remember. 
I remember my people. I remember Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Now, it first thought that may not be all that comforting of an answer. What exactly does God remember about these guys? He remembers Abraham, who more than once lied about his marriage and tried to give away his wife to save his own neck. He remembers Abraham's grandson, Jacob, who cheated his brother, lied to his father, and swindled his uncle. And then there's Jacob's son, Judah, who was so blinded by testosterone that he engaged the services of a streetwalker, not knowing she was his daughter-in-law. And then, still not knowing who he had been with, threatened to have her burned at the stake when he found out his daughter-in-law was pregnant. Judah was also one of Joseph's brothers, so incredibly heartless that that group sold their own brother into slavery and told their father he was dead. Is this what God remembers? No. He remembers his covenant, his promise. He remembers his promises to make them a great people and to give them the land of Canaan. And that's exactly what God does, not, not because of who they are, but because of who he is, the God who is faithful to his promise. God has heard our groaning as well. Like Moses, we at times storm into God's presence and ask him, Why? Why was my child born handicapped? Why did my father die at such an early age when we still needed him so much? Why can't my parents get along? God, is this your idea of saving us? You haven't helped at all. And God answers us in those dark times. I remember. What does God remember? All that we have done wrong? Well, that's the way we often remember. We remember the wrongs someone has done to us, keeping a record. But God does not operate that way. He does not keep a record of our sins. Of all the things God remembers, this is one thing he will not remember. Your sin. He erases it from his memory. He doesn't pull out the clipboard and say, no, it says here, this is the 73rd time you have committed that sin this week. He doesn't remember. Well, then what does he remember? He remembers his promise. Verse 6, Therefore, Moses, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will free you from being slaves to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. There is a phrase that is repeated over and over again in these first eight verses of chapter 6. Did you catch it? I am the Lord. He wants us to know his name. Pharaoh had asked, who is the Lord? He didn't ask it as a question, but it was a taunt. Moses, why should I listen to this God of yours, the Lord? Well, Pharaoh was about to know the Lord. He was about to know his power. God also wants us to know his power. 
He says, I will redeem Israel with an outstretched arm. Egyptian art often depicts pharaohs, including Thutmose III, with a huge outstretched arm. It was to depict their strength. No wonder the Lord chooses that image. God stretched out his mighty arm to set the Israelites free. Earlier, God had said, But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. Remember, the, the Lord, that name, we see it in our NIV translation in, in all caps, the Lord. It, it sometimes is translated Yahweh in English Bibles. In, literally, it's the Hebrew for I am. Now, what, what does God mean when he says, by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them? Because back in Genesis chapter 4, we, we were told back then that people had begun to call on the name of the Lord, Yahweh. Well, this then does not mean this is the first time God has used this name. It does mean now he provides a more complete revelation of what this name means. He's going to show them just who he is, the Lord, as he stretches out his mighty arm to set the Israelites free. And he will provide an even more complete revelation when he, the great I Am, takes on flesh and stretches out his mighty arms on the cross, offering his holy and sinless life as the price that pays the debt we owe because of our sins. When he broke forth from the tomb on Easter morning, he showed his mighty arm as he announced that death was done. You see, God not only wants us to know his power, but his love. We are his people. God here also in this section uses the word redeem. That that word redeem means to buy back. But in its historical context, it was was something you would do for, for your family. When your family found themselves in desperate straits, you would pay the price to buy their freedom. Again, Jesus paid the price on the cross to set us free. As he showed himself a mighty saving God, bringing his people through the waters of the Red Sea, so he showed himself a mighty saving God at your baptism, where he made you his child and made a promise to you to be with you forever. And as he brought the Israelites home to that land, he promised their fathers. So he leads each of us home through the gates of heaven. This, friends, is his promise. This is what he remembers. And his promises to us is also what he wants us to remember. We continue at verse 9. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labor. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of his country. But Moses said to the Lord, If the Israelites will not listen to me, why would Pharaoh Pharaoh listen to me, since I speak with faltering lips? Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron about the Israelites and Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he commanded them to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. 
Why will Pharaoh listen to me? Moses asked. The Israelites don't even listen to me. Why would Pharaoh? Well, God will answer Moses' question, but first, there is a family history. Since this is already a longer section we're covering this week, I'm not going to read through verses 14 through 27. I'll I'll let you do that on your own. But it's a family ancestry from Jacob down to Moses and Aaron and then beyond, listing some of their relatives who will play an important role in Israel's history, including such genealogies in the scriptures, is a strong reminder that we are reading history. God's plan of salvation was worked out in a specific time, in a specific place, among specific people. Real events. But some have wondered, why interrupt the narrative at this point to bring us a genealogy? I don't know that we can get to the mind of God, why he inspired the scriptures as he did, or even into the mind of Moses, why he chose under inspiration to place this here. But perhaps the best answer is that Moses and Aaron are about to undertake their important work of leading Israel out of Egypt. What better place then to supply us with some background as to just who these two guys are? Going on now to chapter 7, God now answers Moses' question, Why will Pharaoh listen to me? Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. Moses and Aaron did, just as the Lord commanded them. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. Moses had asked, why will Pharaoh listen? And God answers Moses in two ways. First, he says, I have made you like God to Pharaoh. In other words, Moses, you're going as my spokesman. So it's not so much, will Pharaoh listen to you, Moses, but will he listen to me, the Lord? And as far as your continuing complaint that you don't speak well, Aaron is going to be your spokesman. That was the first part of the answer. The second was this. Pharaoh's not going to listen to you, Moses, but he will have no choice but to let my people go because I will bring them out. Verse 8. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle, then say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh and it will become a snake. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. Pharaoh then summoned wise men and sorcerers, and the Egyptian magicians also did the same things by their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff, and it became a snake. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Yet 
Pharaoh's heart became hard, and he would not listen to them, just as the Lord had said. Professor Lessing, in his commentary, points out that this skirmish between Aaron's staff and those of Pharaoh's magicians foreshadows the pattern that will take place in the plagues. In each one, first, through Moses and Aaron, God will demonstrate his power over Pharaoh. Then, second, Pharaoh will dispute the indisputable, that he is no match for Yahweh, the Lord. And then third, his heart will be hardened. Nine times more we will hear that Pharaoh's heart was hardened. That is, he became stubborn in his unbelief and refused to listen. The first four times we're told Pharaoh's heart is hardened, Pharaoh himself is the subject of the verb. He hardens his heart against God. Only then, after Pharaoh repeatedly hardens his heart, does God begin to harden Pharaoh's heart. It's as though the Lord is saying to Pharaoh, if that's the way you want it, I will help you along. We'll have more to say on God hardening Pharaoh's heart when we get to the rest of the plagues next week. Verse 14, Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he goes out to the river. Confront him on the bank of the Nile and take in your hands the staff that was changed into a snake. Then say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to say to you, Let my people go so that they may worship me in the wilderness. But until now, you have not listened. This is what the Lord says. By this, you will know that I am the Lord. With the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water of the Nile and it will be changed into blood. The fish in the Nile will die and the river will stink. The Egyptians will not be able to drink its water. The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, take your staff and stretch, stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the streams and canals, over the ponds and all the reservoirs, and they will turn to blood. Blood will be everywhere in Egypt, even in vessels of wood and stone. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded. He raised his staff in the presence of Pharaoh and his officials and struck the water of the Nile, and all the water was changed into blood. The fish in the Nile died, and the river smelled so bad that the Egyptians could not drink its water. Blood was everywhere in Egypt. But the Egyptian magicians did the same things by their secret arts, and Pharaoh's heart became hard. He would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Instead, he turned and went into his palace and did not take even this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile to get drinking water because they could not drink the water of the river. The plagues are, in many ways, judgments on Egypt's gods, the idols in which they had put their trust. And the first in line was Kanum, Egypt's god of water and life. God showed that Egypt's water and life god was, was not real, that he was not worth putting their trust in when Egypt's water became blood. Note, it didn't just look like blood. It didn't 
didn't turn red, it became blood. Perhaps this was also an indictment against Egypt's drowning of the Hebrew baby boys. In any case, Egypt's water supply, which they depended on for life, became a place of death. You would think Pharaoh would listen, but no, his heart became hard. It's a refrain we will hear again and again. Next time, as we continue with chapters 8 and 9, the peace of God which transcends all understanding will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen.